Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. France are going to host the FIFA Women's World Cup for the first time when the tournament kicks off tomorrow, Friday 7th of June. The tournament will be hosted in nine cities and played in nine different venues. Unfortunately, the Irish women's team won't be taking part, but for the very first time, all of the matches will be shown on Irish television. Irish international and Arsenal footballer Louise Quinn will be one of those in the studio analysing the play and she joins me later to tell me all about it. Joining me in the studio for our weekly chat with Irish Times women about what's on their cultural radar and whatever else they want to talk about will be business journalist Laura Slattery. And also coming up today, our co-producer Jennifer Ryan went along to the National Women's Council of Ireland's AGM this morning and she'll report back on that. But before we get started, I want to tell you about a brand new competition we are running. Fancy getting your hands on a luxurious chocolate hamper from Green and Blacks? Of course you do. The Irish Times has teamed up with Green and Blacks to give our listeners the chance to win a beautiful hamper filled with delicious products from their new velvet range, which is ideal for those indulgent moments. The Velvet Edition of Chocolate Bars offers a variety of signature flavours for all tastes in a smooth, velvety finish. Dark chocolate, but not as you know it. The Velvet Fruit Pouches offer a completely new taste in chocolate, a luxurious melange of fruit and dark chocolate in two tempting flavours. Carefully crafted by expert taste specialists, Green and Blacks invites you to unwind and savour every bite while bringing your taste buds on a heavenly journey. I feel we need some heavenly music there. Escape the ordinary with Green and Blacks. To be in with a chance of winning one of these delicious hampers, go to irishtimes.com forward slash competitions forward slash Green and Blacks 2019. I'm going to tell you that again. irishtimes.com forward slash competitions forward slash green and blacks 2019. I knew we'd get some chocolate to give away eventually with green and blacks as our sponsor and we finally done it. So do get stuck in and enter the competition. I'm joined now by Irish Times business reporter Laura Slattery. Laura, you had a very interesting article this week about sexist ads. Tell us more. So I was really writing about sexist job ads and they were historic ones from the 1970s. Um, I had occasion to go through the archive of the Irish Times recently, which was actually to research a number of widely successful uh, male uh, business people. (laughs) And as a sort of out of the corner of my eye, (laughs) I saw all these ads from, you know, referring to lady secretaries and we're in need of a highly qualified girl. And then on the flip side of that, there were, you know, advertising agencies looking for men with, you know, with initiative and there was newspapers looking for 
men with great drive and talent and flair and all of these words that uh, weren't being applied time, to the women now. Absolutely not. So, you know, the the women, I think, were were given the short straw a lot of the time. So we've come a long way, Laura, we can have. we say. I mean, everything did change in 1977. That was sort of the turning point because, um, you know, that was when it became against the law to bar men or women from particular jobs. And they couldn't advertise that way. So there was a lot of kind of quiet consternation about this that, you know, could you even use terms like postmen and barmen? And it turns out you could, but you could put, you had to put a disclaimer at the bottom saying, uh, you this know, can oh, also be a woman. You yeah. can have a woman barman. So on the very first day of this, this law was in, in, in play, there was actually an ad in all of the uh, newspapers for RTE cameramen. So that was RTE breaking the law and all the newspapers were also breaking and the law by carrying that. could they not just say that. camera person? Well, there was a, a lot of resistance to that, that kind of terminology, I can tell that you. That kind of mad talk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, uh, cameras obviously were uh, heavier back in the day, but there was, you know, it remained a male bastion for, for and, quite some decades. And it still does in some ways as well, if you look around any studios, as you know. But um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is, I'm very jealous, because you have been to see the Spice Girls, not once, but twice. You're just back from Coventry and you saw them in Croke Park as well. So tell us about Spice World and why everyone was just going mad for these concerts. Yeah, so this is me fast forwarding from the 1970s to the 1990s, which is, of course, the sort of really actually quite a concentrated period that the Spice Girls had most of their hits out, 96 to 98. And they were all on show again uh, here on this tour, uh, which is kind of a bonus tour because they had a reunion about uh, 10 or 11 years ago with all five. This time we had uh, all four except uh, Posh. And, um, yeah, I had booked my tickets for Coventry and I, I, the Rico Arena, and then they announced Croke Park and I sort of got a last minute invitation there. So that's why I've seen them nice. twice, but it was worth it, I have to say, because I think the atmosphere at both uh, events w- was just incredible. Um, a lot of people having amazing fun. Um, this show opens on Spice Up Your Life and it finishes on Wannabe, which is obviously oh. the song that was their breakthrough. And there's so many great hits, you know, Say You'll Be There, Two Become One. Um, I think the only one I'm really not that too keen on is Mama, because I don't know okay. if you remember, they brought that out around the time of Mother's Day. Uh, and it was a little bit too much commercialism going on there. Well, I love the video of that, because it has all their mums in it. I always thought And they was really, really do nice. make hay with that yeah. <laughs> on, ah, visually well. on their tour. <laughs> oh, do they? Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's that's their main thing. So, uh, But uh, I kind of, uh, I think they... Um, they brought a certain amount of fun and okay, you know, girl power was a slogan at the time. But there was a, I was, I think I was 15 or 16 when they came out. So I was actually even slightly older than I think, I think their key fans were probably like 10 or younger. And all they, they've all come back. This is a sold out uh, tour they're doing. And it, I think the reception has been amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. People were saying it's like some big giant hen party. I don't know if you agree with that. But yeah, I don't a know, lot of dressing yeah. up. Yeah, a lot of us. I, I, I kind of like the yeah, hen party. I don't know. I think this. I think I like. I got a lot of gigs where it, it's majority male and audience. And it's like a stag party. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I know. But yeah, <laughs> you we don't say always that. say that. Yeah, no, exactly. So, you're right. <laughs> so I yeah. think it's great. I think it's great that they they obviously still have that connection with women. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I probably shouldn't slag off Mama on that basis, but uh, that is my least favorite. No, one. <laughs> you're allowed. That's fine. And so the last thing I want to talk to you about is one of your big passions in life, even bigger than the Spice Girls, is women's tennis, and you're excited at the moment. 
don't. Yeah, no, I'll just bring up another decade since I've covered the whole uh, <laughs> We're time gamut. travelling here. But I was a child in the 80s and right. that was the era of Navratilova and Everett. Uh, yeah. Great rivalry. But what we have now is almost the opposite of a rivalry in women's tennis. What we have is a big free-for-all. You can never predict who's going to win. Brilliant. So the French Open's on at the moment. It's down to the semi-final stage in the women's and there's two teenagers in it, which oh. unlike the men's uh, event, which is dominated by the old hands and it's sort of almost pre- just too predictable who's going to win. It's very exciting. I mean, I'm slightly heartbroken at the moment that one of the teenagers, Amanda Anamasova, has um, knocked out my favourite, yeah. Simona Halep. But I'll, I'll forgive her. And the other two then, there's an Australian uh, woman called Ashley Barty who's got a great story. She left tennis for a while, did some cricket, came back. She could be the heroine of Australia if she wins on this weekend, uh, the title. And then finally, the actually the most experienced, believably, is the British player, Johanna Conta. Oh. Um, so I'd, I'd love to see Conta do it. There's some great talent and there's some really good uh, strokes, really good variety of play. You never know what you're going to get. You can't predict the winner. I just... Uh, love it at the moment. Well, I'm talking later on to someone about the Women's World Cup, which is kicking off tomorrow. And um, will you have any interest in that? Will you put I an eye I on it? I think I will keep an eye on it. Like England and Scotland are in the same group, so I think that's actually that'll be a well watched match. I mm. think in this part of the world, um, I know USA are the favourites. And I know they're fighting an equality battle off the pitch, which is very interesting. They're suing their national uh, federation for, uh, for on the grounds that they aren't being treated fairly, you know, despite being more successful than their men's team. Um, women's soccer is, is is huge in America and has been since they won, I think, in 99. I think yeah. they've won three times already. So I am, I probably will uh, tune into it, but I've got Wimbledon as well. You know, I've got to put oh, my... You've got a few things to <laughs> watch out. Well, the good thing is that RTE and TG Carr are going to stream all the matches. So that's first. It's going to be time. on TV, be in fact. Yes. yes. Yeah, it's a great first. So I think we can all just tune in a little bit. And I think with any World Cup, um, as we talk about later, there's always excitement and it's great fun. But Laura, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us about all your passions, which spanned all the decades. Sounds great. Laura, uh, thank you. Thanks. Now, when TG Carr broadcasts the opening match in the FIFA Women's World Cup between host nation France and South Korea tomorrow, Friday 7th of June, it should mark the start of a new era for Irish coverage of the event, as well as a massive leap forward in the media status commanded by women's sport. For the very first time, each of the 52 games will be shown on Irish television with matches split between RTE2 and TG Cahar. Until now, Orchie's only live coverage of the Women's World Cup was the 2007 final between Germany and Brazil, which is kind of mad when you think about it. So joining me for a preview of the tournament and to discuss why this coverage by the national broadcaster is so important is Louise Quinn, Arsenal and Irish senior player. Louise, thank you very much for joining us on your holidays from Portugal. Really appreciate it. Um, Are you excited about the Women's World Cup, which starts tomorrow? Yeah, of course. I think it's going to be... I'm very, very excited to watch it. Obviously gutted that, you know, Ireland couldn't be a part of it. Um, we just weren't weren't able to qualify for it, for it this year. You know, we still have a long way to go, but you've got to embrace the excitement of it all. And I have a lot of teammates playing in there as well. So it's just going to be a, a great month of football. Brilliant. And women's football has come a really long way. Mary Hannigan is writing in the Irish Times today and she's talking about how when it began back in 1991, it wasn't even being allowed to be called a World Cup and it was sponsored by M&Ms. And nowadays it's sponsored by Visa, Adidas, Coca-Cola, uh, Qatar Airways and Hyundai. So is there a sense that, you know, finally women's football is being recognised for what it should be? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's something that 
it's going to happen regardless. So I just think it's time people and companies just just started investing in it. The growth recently of the game has been huge and it's only going to get bigger. So I think it's been ideal now that such um, recognised sponsors are coming on and I think is going to be the biggest one so far. And and this is it. These these sponsors are are coming through as well. You know, even in the, in the English league, the FA in the Women's Super League, there's Barclays are are supporting the league, and then Arsenal ourselves. We have um you know Mastercard as as our own sponsor now. Mm-hmm. So you know it's it's all happening and. Totally only going to get bigger. Yeah, like, I mean, we don't always want to be talking about the money, but the fact is where there is those big companies and the big corporate support, it does give such a boost to a sport, doesn't it? When you don't get that, it's kind of hard to be in the big leagues. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It's um, it's also one thing that has been great about women in football. Um, it's, it's all for the love of the game. Playing isn't for the money or it isn't for those extra additives that you get from it. It's, you know, it's about purely about playing the game but but now it's just it's just how it's just how it's going yeah um you know and and you've just got to be able to keep up then yeah exactly listen i was really interested to discover that um these matches uh used to be only 80 minutes because you know women weren't you know able to kind of keep it for the 90 minutes and april heinrichs uh one of the captains of the of the teams told sports illustrated that football's overlords were afraid our ovaries were going to fall out if we played for 90 minutes what's your comment on that <laughs> like it was just the most wittiest brilliant response I think you can you can get there and, and thankfully thankfully that's changed you know maybe maybe from what you said it it did make a you know make a difference there and definitely knowing that women are well well capable of playing a you know a 90 minute game and but yeah I like the sound of her yeah <laughs> she sounds cool um, now there was another uh, journalist in um, who's attending the FIFA Congress this week in Paris his name is Rob Harris and he noted that six of the football associations represented at the FIFA Congress didn't even know the World Cup was about to start in the same city is that surprising to you? Yeah of course it is yeah you know it's um... What does it say about them? Yeah, exactly. That's where you've got to, you know, start questioning something. It's either maybe to do with those people a part of FIFA, first of all, but then also, is there that correct and a right amount of um, media coverage and everything going on for them to know? But I think maybe they do have, you know, their their heads down in the sand a little bit there. So I'm not, mm. you know, it is it is very peculiar, but... Um, yeah, sure. Look, obviously, you've got to, you know, there's there's some reason behind it, and I think it's it's obviously trying to figure out why. And the other thing that's being said is, if if you're in Paris, you wouldn't actually notice that there was a World Cup about to happen starting tomorrow. Whereas if it was the men's, it, you know, the stuff would be everywhere; you wouldn't be able to miss it. So, is that something else that needs to change? That kind of buzz and the visibility around it needs to get a boost as well. Yeah, and you know, it's they probably always are trying to think they're trying to keep the. Uh, traditionalism of Paris and keep everything how they want it in terms of it, you know, being kind of the tourist area, maybe. So maybe they're just trying to do that. But yeah, obviously, if it was the other way around, there'd be, you know, there'd be no two ways about it that, you know, it would be plastered everywhere if it was, uh, you know, if it was the men's team. So there's still a long way to go Mm. in the women's game. And to say that, you know, everything is going to be exactly how the men's is, 
it's just not it's just not realistic at the moment no it's not and without wanting to be too much of a downer because we'll get on to the cheerier bits in a second but I did also see something else that the women's squad in France had to vacate the French national training camp um, because the men's squad were moving in ahead of their friendly against Bolivia so even though they were preparing for a World Cup the men still took precedence yeah, well, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know that. And my my roommate is on the French team. Um, All right. So uh, no, I didn't. I actually just saw you know them interacting and just having you know having chats and having a laugh um, there last week. So, but obviously that was you know to you know one to come in to one to go out. Yeah, listen, and again, certain teams are going to take priorities, and I you know I would it's it's then going to seem like that the you know the actual World Cup champions are going to. You know, if they've got a game, they're going to take over. But again, it's just one of those things where it just has to change. It's probably something where the men's team actually don't mind that, you know, that there is, if there is crossover or that they're in the same training facility. Um, you know, it seems to be sometimes from the powers above that don't allow that. Yeah, that make those decisions where the players, the male players themselves might be quite happy to share Oh, yeah. Space. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine, you know, I can imagine so, yeah. Um, so, like I said, getting back to the more cheery thing, it does promise to be the highest quality and most competitive ever uh, Women's World Cup. You've got France, Netherlands, England and Australia all being tipped as possible winners. So, you know, if it is, if it is seen to be that and we do get the quality that we expect, do you expect that this tournament will give it a real boost? Absolutely. And, and that's it. I feel like the quality going in at the moment has just been incredible. And I think it is credit to the, you know, to, to the leagues that have really, you know, really, really stepped up the likes of England and the Women's Super League at the moment. The, the quality is so, so high and there's so many top teams and a lot of those players spread out, you know, amongst those teams. And yeah, you know, Australia, we're, we're really on a we're really on a great run. There as well, you know. Unfortunately, their uh, their coach did, you know, get get fired there a few months ago. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they're how they're going to come into us. Um, but again, their league is getting is getting stronger. You know, they get a lot of the, you know, American um, league players coming into into their league for the for their off season. So you know, this the strength there is just improving improving so much. So you know, it's going from one side of the world to the other, you know, about the quality of football that's going around. So, you know, yeah. I think overall that's going to because be huge. Because it, it was much a smaller pool before, like people like United States, Norway, Germany and Japan, they've kind of dominated. So it's great to see other countries getting to the, up to that level too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think it's it's something as well where Germany are going through a big transition period. So, you know, so again, you're you're wondering, you know, what sort of form are they going to come in? They're always going to be strong, but are they going to be you know, that dominant force that they've always been. And, and yeah, and, and the same, the same with USA, maybe not in the best of form that they've always been in, but at the same time, they're USA and they have some of the best world players around. And then also they're able to, they're well capable of, I think, of handling this pressure as, you know, they've been in plenty of World Cup finals, plenty of Olympic finals. So, um, I feel like kind of taking that pressure on their shoulders, that's, um, you know, that's a bit a bit easier for them, something they're a bit more used to. It is a pity about Ireland, obviously, but you being in Arsenal, will you be supporting England or who are you going to be supporting in this? <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> but obviously, yeah, like there was, you know, there's four Dutch teammates. Okay. Um, as well and... Yeah, and two of the Scottish girls as well. So it is. It's very, very tough. Um, I feel like I'm not going to make any of those decisions until they're playing each other. Okay. Um, 
and I like I know a couple of the Swedish girls as well. So yeah, this is going to be uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough for me. And I'm just obviously hoping and knowing that it is going to be you know very exciting because that's you know two of our girls, one of so Beth Mead from England and then Vivian Miedema from the Netherlands have both been on fire for Arsenal now this year and are scoring goals, setting up goals. So I'm just looking forward now to seeing you know how they take that into the national team and. Yeah, it's just it's just going to be it's going to be class, and I'm, you know, the expectations. I think maybe in like for me, for me, they're high anyway, and I feel like they're definitely going to be mess. And then for other people, they're not going to be sure what to expect. But I could, you know, I'm just going to say switch it on, have a look. I feel like you won't be disappointed. And speaking of switching it on, is the media coverage going to be good this time? Do you think there there's enough of it? Uh, you're involved, obviously, as a panelist on TV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. Um, where RTE can people see it they can watch it on RTE and TG Cahir who are going to show you know every single one of the games it's it's uh, that's a first really isn't it that is that is a first and I feel like this is you know absolutely huge um, you know I feel like there's maybe not even countries that are taking part in the World Cup that are able to get all the games so you know what we're doing here is is a massive is a massive step for us and obviously it's disappointing that that you know that we're not there but this is just what we're you know what we're we're building up to and leading up to and it's you know very much to do with 20 by 20 can't see can't be and we need to start making more more female role models that young girls can see and they can be from you know from any country any background and 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 just play football and yeah so you know it's gonna be brilliant I'm gonna be a part of the you know the RTE um, panel as my Oscar is not up to scratch <laughs> or to car at all. Um, and you can just see online, there's just been, you know, a, a lot of coverage everywhere, a lot more than I've seen in, you know, in a long, long time. And hopefully that's going to grow. And, you know, we've we've then got, you know, the Irish team, we've got the European qualifiers coming up in September. So hopefully, again, we're just, you know, we're building, we're building towards that. And then we want to, you know, try qualify for the Euros then. Well, that's brilliant. We'll be keeping an eye on that too. Um, just speaking of media coverage, it's interesting. There are more stories coming through that uh, show the kind of struggles of various women's team around the world. And I was looking at one anecdote about one of the weaker qualifiers like Chile and their football federation was so disinterested in their efforts. They went 981 days without a game. So you're looking at people who are dealing with those kind of things. I mean, and they're still getting through and uh, thriving. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that's just down to their determination and hard work and just purely for the love of the game. They're going to do everything that they can to be there and to and to showcase themselves. And, you know, that's yeah, that's that's tough to hear. And, you know, you hear the same with, you know, with the with the Jamaican team and they have to do a lot of their own fundraising as well. Yeah. From what I read, the same was, old story, um, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was Bob Marley's. um daughter oh really who was funding some of it yeah yeah they're called they're called the reggae girls oh brilliant uh, you know and Bob Marley I think he was massively he was was so into his football yeah 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 so I think it was his daughter now so yeah you know that's that's one of the other stories I heard coming through was uh, about Brazil's Cristiane Rosera de Souza Silva who when she was a kid apparently was so besotted with football much to her mother's alarm she would chop the heads off her dolls and use them as footballs Listen, that's imagination and creativity. 
Like, I'm sure there's probably a story and my mom probably has another one in there for me as well. <laughs> well, you have to find that for us next yeah. time. Yeah, Listen, exactly. I, I can't yeah, yeah. I can't let you go without asking you how you celebrated Liverpool because I know you're a fan. Was that the great night? It was, yeah, it was brilliant. I was actually in Portugal um, for the final and the course beside us, we got sharing a table with another Irish, with an Irish couple. <laughs> so, um, sure, look, we were just, yeah, we were just, you know, buzzing. It was just... It was, yeah, it was just huge. I It was more when they, uh, obviously when they started just, you know, serenading them with they'll never walk alone at yeah. the end. That just completely gets you. Um, and yeah, it was just, it's it was just incredible and completely, you know, completely deserved. And yeah, I've been a, I've been a lifelong fan. So, you know, to see them, see them lift two Champions League leagues so far in my, uh, my lifetime is uh, is quite nice. Amazing. So before you go, who's going to win the Women's World Cup, which starts tomorrow? Oh, I am. Gosh, I am going to say I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the host France. I'm going to go with that. Okay, Vive la France. Yeah. Yes. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens. And just why should people tune in? People who think, "Oh, I'm not interested. I don't want. I don't watch football generally." Why should they watch women playing football? And why is it important that we support? I just think it's, um, you know, first of all, it's it's a World Cup. It's you know, you've just got to be out there supporting. Like, it's just one of those things. Who who doesn't love a World Cup? Mm. You know, all during the summer, and it doesn't matter if it's you know if it's if it's men's, women's, whatever. But I just think the quality of football that you're going to see, I think it will, you know, it will surprise people in the in the best of ways. And it's just it's just not going to be disappointing. It's going to be pure entertainment. And, uh, you know, there's some absolute world class players out there that I just think people need to see. And this is their chance. Well, you've sold it to me anyway. And I actually you've given me idea. I think I'm going to do a Women's World Cup pool in the office here among uh, some oh, of our yeah. contributors to the women's podcast. So we'll have a bit of fun with it as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Best of luck to you with all your commentating. We look forward to hearing your expert words as the uh, tournament progresses. Thank you very much, Louise Quinn. Brilliant. Thanks, Roisin. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. Following the local elections, the National Women's Council of Ireland brought together women candidates and newly elected female councillors today for a discussion with Minister John Paul Phelan about their campaigns, their leadership journey, barriers for women to enter into politics and their vision for change. Our co-producer Jennifer Ryan went along to talk to some of those in attendance. In the recent local elections, 23% of council seats went to women candidates. That's a slight increase from 21% in the last elections, but it's well short of the 30% mark that many, including the National Women's Council of Ireland, were hoping for. At its AGM in Dublin this morning, the National Women's Council brought together some of the women who ran, successfully and unsuccessfully, to talk about their experience of the campaign and the barriers to women entering politics. Annie Hoy was elected to Meath County Council for the Labour Party after throwing her hat into the ring late in the game, giving herself only four weeks to win over the electorate. A former president of the Union of Students in Ireland, Councillor Hoy also worked with Together for Yes and volunteered on President Michael D. Higgins's campaign for re-election. So what inspired her to go forward herself this time? 
I, I decided to run because I was asked to run. Someone said, I think you'd be really good. And I looked around and I said, actually, yeah, I think I'd be really good. i bring something great to this council and to my area. It's quite a young area. Um, and I think it would have been really good to have a young progressive voice on that council. And we just went at it for 30 days and, uh, and, and we were very successful. You're no stranger to the world of activism and politics either. No, I've, I've been around the block a little bit, cut my teeth as a student activist um, down in UCC. Uh, I studied drama theatre studies first and then I went back to college. I did women's studies and that's where it really kind of kicked things off, I suppose. Um, and then I got involved in the Students' Union there and I was involved in all sorts of campaigns, fighting against increasing fees, uh, repeal the eight, students for marriage equality. Um, and I very much enjoy being involved in being a part of the change making that was happening in Ireland over the last while and I think that's a really great skill set to bring to a council and can you tell me what was the campaign like itself and after going through the campaign and now about to enter into your political life in another chapter of it what do you identify as some of the barriers or some of the difficulties that are there for women getting into politics well the campaign the four weeks was some of the best four weeks of my life um, Senator Jed Nash said at the start of the campaign, I promise that we'll have some laughs on the way. And honestly, I don't. I suppose we, we really only could laugh given that we only had four weeks. Where you, you laughed or you gave up all hope. And we really just, um, it was an incredible group of people who put absolutely everything into it. And there wasn't part of that constituency that we didn't cover. Um, and we, we laughed, uh, we got soaked, we got drenched. We met incredible people along the way. And it, it's an experience like no other. Um, in terms of barriers... That, that support network around you, I was very lucky that I happened to have that around me and I could see other people in other parties or other parts of the country really just being like, I'm on my own, I don't know who to ask, I don't know who to talk to. Um, so, so there's the systematic barriers in place, you know, women being able to afford childcare. I don't have children right now and already I'm thinking, what am I going to do in the next five years? I'm getting married next year um, and people are saying, what are you going to do? Like, I'm genuinely trying to figure out very serious life decisions I have to make, how that's now going to affect the start of my political career. So there's systematic barriers in place, childcare, access, working-class people, migrant people. and um, There's a whole system there that is stopping an awful lot of people from getting involved. But then on a very practical, human level, um, having that support network around you, it's not good enough just to say, will you run? Or say to a room of people, just run if you want to run. Uh, there's an awful lot more to it and of course just one if you want to run but it, make sure you have those people around you it only needs to be two or three people who are going to carry you through the good days, the laughing days the wet days, the dry days and that are going to be there the day after the election no matter what happens because there's a huge void that suddenly falls into your life whether you're elected or not elected um, and you really really need those people around you to keep you grounded because it's high energy high emotion um, and things start moving very very fast if you do end up being successful in getting elected and I know the Labour Party was good in uh, the level of representation of women that were put forward for this local election. Some of our bigger parties really failed. Uh, Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, neither of them reached the 30% mark. We only have, I think, about 23% in the Doyle at the moment, women. So there's a problem with getting women into the political sphere with regards to local councils and in the Doyle seats for the Doyle, we have got our gender quotas. Do you think something like that would be helpful at local election level, having gone through the experience of running in an election yourself? 
I think it would be very helpful. The Labour Party, we set a, an internal target of 40%. We had 41% of women running, uh, of our candidates were women, and we ended up getting 42% of our councillors are now women. So I don't think quotas are the be-all and the end-all. They're not the only way to tackle this. There's systematic barriers in place, the five Cs that people talk about, childcare cost, confidence, uh, culture. Um, but I really think it's it's a small step in order to try and rebalance somehow. I saw so many all-male tickets up and down the country. And look, it happens in areas sometimes you can't get people to run. There isn't the support there. Uh, someone once said, uh, we've got great candidates and then we've got great activists and campaigners, but sometimes they're not in the same place at the same time. So we do need to do a lot of work around making sure the support teams are around the candidates and we don't just send someone out to the wolves for no reason. But I do think gender quotas as a, as a way to try and deal with some of the rebounds because it makes parties think about how they do business it makes parties think about who they're putting forward why they're putting forward and let me tell you no one accepts being put forward as a token person so that argument is absolute balderdash you're about to start your job as a councillor proper very soon what is the first thing you're going to do or what's your priority I mean the first thing I'm going to do is try and figure out how to be a councillor um, Joe, I, I, there's no point in me turning around going about to change the world tomorrow I'm going to figure out how to do this job properly I'm taking uh, advice and counsel from people from all sorts of different political backgrounds and different political parties I suppose my priority was I and I I always said this was to try and get that perspective onto the council. There, on Meath County Council, there, I, you know, I've been renting for a long time. I work up in Dublin. I can't ever really probably afford my own home. That perspective needs to be brought to the decision-making table. It needs to be brought uh, a woman who's tried to figure out whether or not I can have children, about whether or not that's going to affect uh, the next five years and, and the work I'm going to do. Those are really unique perspectives to bring to the council, and I want to do that as best I can. County Meath has a quite a young population, particularly over on the coast where I'm from, South Drogheda. Uh, is a town that's traversed by two counties um, and I want to make sure that there's a bit more cooperation between the two. I'm from Drogheda County Meath, there's 7,000 of us living there, the rest of Drogheda is in County Louth and there's a whole group of us that get left behind and I want to make sure I'm a voice for those people as well. Poonam Rain became Fingal's first Indian-born councillor when she was elected in the Blanchardstown Mulhuddard Ward. A technology company owner who has lived in Ireland for about 20 years she used to work in investment banking before she started her software technology business. Poonam joined Finnegale about two years ago because the party's policies and strategies resonated with her own. In the local elections, neither Finnegale nor Fianna Fáil managed to put forward 30% women candidates. Councillor Rain thinks gender quotas could be part of a solution. Uh, I think this is going to be a learning experience uh, and I'm sure the party will uh, take this as a learning experience uh, and uh, maybe that's something that they will start looking at. That is it a requirement looking at, so it'll be kind of a lessons learned uh, experience uh, and I'm sure uh, the party does realise that, that uh, in putting in maybe the quotas like uh, the minister said uh, might, might be a requirement. Maybe they didn't feel it earlier uh, and maybe they, fe- they will feel it now and maybe that's something that they will put at the council level as well because if they want to fulfill the criteria for the general elections I feel uh, they will need to fulfill that at the council level as well because obviously that will be like you said the building blocks for the general election some of the candidates right so I'm, I'm sure they will take a look at it and Fine Gael, as you know is a progressive party and uh, they don't hesitate from putting some of these strong uh, policies in place. And you spoke during the panel earlier about women in leadership and it was something you're passionate about in this area you've worked in. And you made the point as well about the only barriers to women doing things are women themselves. 
Can you explain to me how that applies in this situation? Again, right, uh, I know fundamentally women think politics is for men, uh, and that needs to change, okay? Uh, politics is for everybody. Uh, so I think the minute they realize that, that it's for everybody and they themselves can do it, I think there'll be no stopping for anybody, right? So this is something that now when when more and more women get uh, elected, they'll become role, automatically become role models. So I feel that that's something at the ground level that some of these things that uh, we need, like coming from, again, from a corporate background, I kind of harp on this, the reason being that this is something when I talk to people at the ground level, I kind of share my experiences and I think then they... It kind of empowers them. Empowerment is a very strong word, but it's also a strong feeling that every woman should feel within themselves. The faster they realize, the earlier they realize, uh, the easier it will be for us uh, or for more women to uh, be in politics. Also, remember that we'll also be a role model for the next generation. Like I myself, I know that many people ask me, are you doing the right thing? Are you sure? Because having been very successful in the corporate side of things, this was a completely different dynamics entering politics, right? Uh, But for me now, it will be a role model for other people to say, if Punam could do it, maybe we could do it, someone will pick it up. And maybe the younger generation could, I can see people, uh, the younger generation saying, oh, look at that woman there, like on the poster, like she's so beautiful, can she really do it? Even if they're looking at me as a beautiful woman, but I feel that's also empowerment, right, that they can do it. So I feel that that'll change, it'll change, and it has to change, uh, because uh, our... Uh, what the current generation has is social media is a very powerful tool, and I can keep on saying this because coming from a technology background again, I know there are uh, there are uh, positives, there are negatives. Everything has positive and negative. And social media, the younger generation is on social media. Things are that they can see is much more at a faster and rapid pace than what we would have experienced during our growing up years. And of course, diversity is is more than just gender, right? So you're an, an Indian woman. You've run successfully in Ireland now. How important is is that that immigrant communities in this country see not just men and women on posters? They see people that look like them on them too. Diversity and inclusion has been a theme that has run uh, throughout everything that you see, right? Uh, be it organisations, be it politics, be it sports. Uh, Everyone wants to have that diversity uh, element there. The reason being, it's it also gives you a platform to for uh, to see people contributing from different aspects or different walks of life. Say you can say, okay, I'm coming from India, right? Coming from India, maybe there are different aspects that I can bring uh, to this country. Uh, my uh, process or thought process or way of thinking could be different, which this part of the world hasn't seen right so this is something that I bring different and then maybe it's something that wasn't there that I can bring to the table and that will be something new and maybe that's something for the benefit of the society right this is how I see it but uh, again like I said I've never uh, like I think I'm more Irish than an Irish could be at this stage having lived here for so many years and um I think to be honest, me, uh, you can say I, I was lucky or maybe that's something just the way I was or my personality that I never thought I was an outsider. Right? Never felt that. Uh, I've always uh, been successful in whatever I did because the people just liked me, uh, liked what I said, liked uh, what I did. Um, maybe I was more uh, dynamic in everything I did. Uh, barriers was not a word that I could uh that I would use that okay this is going to be a barrier so that's why I encourage more and more women not to not to consider anything as a barrier 
not only women. I kind of even there there are men out there as well who think that things uh, there are barriers. There are, the moment you think there are barriers, there are barriers. The moment you don't think there are barriers, there are no barriers, right? So, uh, but I'm also sure that again, how much ever I uh, say coming from a migrant to think it'll be also and for other migrants to think that there are opportunities there and also for the society to think that there is nothing called as migrant or not being a migrant or Irish or non-Irish all of us have a single vision we want the best for the society right best for the country so I'm sure there'll be more people uh, now standing up for elections next time I hope Catherine Coffey O'Brien is a volunteer worker and community activist who recently ran for the Workers' Party as a candidate in Cork City Northwest. She wasn't successful this time, but she hasn't ruled out another run in the future. She says her activism and her own background inspired her to run. Well, I saw firsthand, I suppose, the implications of, of badly taught out policy. And... Like, I come from a long line of very strong, matriarchal women. And women are the glue of any family, of any society. And I thought to myself, well, look, if, even if I inspired some, women, some young women, if I inspired any woman, um, and if I, if I got the seat, I would have... I would have... I would have, impl- I would have created fundamental changes within housing... I would have, uh, when it came to adult education, youth education, um, and community-based services that would enable young women and women to reach their own potential. And that, uh, that was one of my primary objectives, if I, if I got the seat. Uh, because adult education was starved of funding. The creches in deprived areas are starved of funding. Social housing is starved of funding. And these all fundamentally affect us as women, mothers, sisters, daughters. And tell me about your background yourself, because I believe that that was part of your reason too. Yeah, well, as I said, I, I came from, I, I am a traveller, and I was spent a portion of my life in institutions. I spent a lot of time running away from them. But uh, um, I saw firsthand firsthand and um, the consequences of badly thought out policy bad planning when it came to bad planning when it came to housing or adult education and things like the first round of cutbacks when the austerity measures came in they removed the SNAs from traveler children therefore create another generation of children that probably will never go to third level um, my own life, my own upbringing taught me one thing. I had my, my own family young, and then they're raised. I went back to education, and I always said, society tried to conform me, but UCC informed me. So I had a school of life the first half of my life, and then I had academia that informed me, and I, um, I had a, a very, very, very um, inspirational Professor in UCC, Professor Fred Powell, and he would be social policy department and that. And he he was an inspiration to me because he explained. He sat down with me and he when I was having difficulties in any subjects and that I got I had a dictionary for every subject. 
and I'm old school I took notes down and if I didn't understand the word I go that night I get the definition of the word from the dictionary and rewrite it in and in my own terminology that I would understand it so I could so that I could use that word the bottom end of the line is I did that for myself I didn't know I was going to end up going into politics but I thought I could sit on the couch and complain or I could get up and try and make a difference so my own life experience did play a role in it but the education was vital and what are some of the barriers you think face women in particular in uh, getting into politics well to be honest about it for some women it's childcare. For some women, it's the fact being that they cannot afford to give up their full-time job because they're committed to a mortgage. For other women, then it could be the fact being that they don't have the supports or they haven't found the party that would that suits them, that represents their values. Other women, I think, to be honest about it, Irish women, some Irish women are predisposed to when I was saying it a while ago, of being conditioned into thinking that you're not capable of um, uh, running. But I think if you're capable of running a house and if you're capable of, of cooking and cleaning and rearing children and going to work, if you're capable of looking after your elderly parents, if you're capable... You do, you, women are given a lot of responsibilities. And if you're capable of doing all of those things... And there are a lot of women out there doing a lot of multitasking. You're capable, you're capable, more than capable of sitting in City Hall or above the dial and, then, and being able to fight the corner for the people that are voiceless, the people that, 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 austerity, that cutbacks, budget cutbacks affect the most. We, le- we need less talking about these barriers and we need more action. And any of the females now that got in in, in the local elections and I wish them the very best of luck but I hope they fight the corner and fight it well for for women for so that it would encourage other women to run but like in some councils in some in some councils you might have one woman and the rest are men I've seen them like I often sit in council meetings up in the lobby I watch and, and listen and like it's an uphill battle because not alone you're trying to prove yourself fighting your motion and putting it on the table for your party but you're fighting your corner as a woman as well and there is still that and I say with my, I'm trying to be mindful and respectful but there are some men out there that are still chauvinists they believe a woman's place is in the home and we all know that's a lot of crap And that's it for today. Thanks very much to all our guests. Don't forget to enter our Green and Blacks competition to be in with a chance of winning a really delicious hamper. Go to irishtimes.com forward slash competitions forward slash Green and Blacks 2019. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all your good podcast apps and if you want to get in touch we're on twitter and facebook at it women's podcast or you can email us the women's podcast at irishtimes.com and as you know we do enjoy a bit of praise from time to time so if you like what we do then head along to itunes and give us a review the podcast is produced by myself roisin ingle and by jennifer ryan with jj vernon on sound until next time thanks for listening
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 